Welcome to the Bedford Alliance Church Bible Reading Plan Podcast. I'm Luke Cugino, your discipleship pastor and host. This podcast follows along with our church-wide reading plan, which walks you through the entire New Testament and gives you an overview of the Old Testament. Join us as we dive into God's life-changing Word together. Welcome back to the BAC Podcast. I'm Luke Cugino, and as always, I'm joined by Pastor Ryan. How are you doing today, Pastor Ryan? I'm doing good. Well, it feels like we've been in 1 Corinthians for quite a while, doesn't it? It sure does. But there's so much to talk about. This week we're reading 1 Corinthians 14 through 2 Corinthians 2, mm-hmm. but we're mainly going to focus on wrapping up 1 Corinthians just because there's so much in it. So one of the most important things is in chapter 15, Paul gets into this discussion about the resurrection. Right. So, Pastor Ryan, do you want to shed some some insight into that discussion? Yeah, sure. Um, first of all, when we think of 1 Corinthians 15, I do think what should come to our mind is that's the resurrection chapter. Mm-hmm. And uh, Paul states that if the resurrection didn't happen, then really our faith is useless. Mm-hmm. And everything revolves on the resurrection. Even when you see when the disciples preached in the very beginning, the core message was that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Right. And, you know, just to go off a little bit on a side point, I think sometimes we set up our young people for failure by the way we formulate arguments. Mm -hmm. And first of all, I want everybody to know that I believe that the Bible is the Word of God. I believe it's inspired. I know you do too, Lou. (laughs) Yes, I do. But we argue to our young people that the foundation of our faith is the Bible. Mm -hmm. And sometimes by doing that, we actually set them up for failure, especially when they go off to the universities. Because what they hear is people attack the Bible, show that there's contradictions, show that it's not true. They just really hit it hard. And then what you see a lot of our young people then do is think, well, if the Bible's not true, or if I'm not even sure if I can believe in the Bible, then I don't even know if I can believe in my Christian faith. Right. I think it's a mistake of how we do that. And I think sometimes as Christian leaders, we're setting up our young people for failure. Mm-hmm. I think there's a better approach to it. And this is how I know I, I think through the subject. The foundation of our faith, and Paul writes it, it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And he's saying, if Christ did not raise from the dead, m- you know, my faith, or there's nothing there. It's useless. But again, if he did raise from the dead, we're okay. Mm-hmm. That's the whole foundation. I believe there's enough evidence, in just even in history, that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Or at least the way I would say it is that there was a Jesus who lived in the first century. Right. Uh, he died on a cross. That's really not up to the debate. No. Uh, that he was buried in a tomb. That makes sense, and that's yep. really not up to debate. And that the tomb was found to be empty. Mm-hmm. Now, the big question is what happened to the body. I truly believe as we look for the best explanation, the best explanation for the body being gone is because he rose from the dead. So I think it's important that we first establish that Jesus rose from the dead. Then the way I look at it is this. If we can establish that Jesus rose from the dead, I'm going with the man who rose from the dead. What he says, (laughs) I'm going to believe, I'm going to hold to. Exactly. Whether it's a university scholar or a PhD, I'm going with the man. If he says it's scripture, it's scripture. (laughs) Right. 
And then what happens, so I'm listening to what Jesus said. If Jesus rose from the dead, I'm going to hold what he says, and he's the one who believes in the Scripture. He's the one who holds it to be authentic. And so I'm going with that man. Me too. (laughs) So I look at the approach in that way. I first look at the foundations of resurrection. Now, scholars know that there's something very interesting in 1 Corinthians 15, and it's a creed. And this creed is very important. Now, when we just read the Scriptures, we're not necessarily going to catch it, but it's right there. Now, Remember, in the first century, paper was very expensive, and actually they weren't using paper like we use paper. I mean, mm-hmm. they, um, but anyway, it was very expensive, so most things were passed down orally. And what they did was they memorized a lot of material. And so they would sometimes put things in creeds, and even now we think of the Apostles' Creed and things like that, to help people, the commoner, just to be able to articulate what they think. Mm-hmm. And it would be very easy to memorize. Now, I do want to go over just a very basic timeline, because this timeline is important. We say that Jesus died about 30 A.D., you know, plus or minus three, we'll say, but just right. go easy numbers, 30 A.D. Mm-hmm. I know in a previous uh, uh, podcast, we talked about the Gallio inscription, and they found that an inscription that Gallio was the proconsul of Achaia while Paul was in Corinth. Mm-hmm. And now Paul stood before Gallio, we read that in Corinth in Acts 18, so we know that Paul was in Corinth in the early 50s A.D. Right. Actually, they dated about 51 A.D. Mm-hmm. You realize that's only about 20 years after the, the death of Jesus. Yeah. So we're talking about from 30 A.D. to about 50 A.D., mm-hmm. easy numbers, 20 years. Now, if you, if you have your Bible or someone's listening to this, you can, there's this cream, and it's uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, it's 3 through 5. Now, we might not catch it, but it's, it's an easy way for them to, to memorize something. So look what Paul says. For I delivered to you. So he said, I gave to you, Corinthians, this, as a first importance, what I also received. So he's saying, I gave you this creed as this creed was given to me. Mm-hmm. And then he actually quotes the creed, and it's this, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he's buried and raised from the thir- on the third day, according to the scriptures. You see how it's got a flow to it. Yep. And that he appeared to Cephas. That's interesting because Cephas is an Aramaic word. It's, it's Peter, who we mm-hmm. know to be Peter, mm-hmm. but it's in Aramaic. Then the 12. Now, there's just a couple points I want to make about this. First of all, this timeline is absolutely incredible. Skeptics sometimes say the resurrection became a legend over time. Right. In the very beginning, they didn't believe this, but as it you know, began to work and work and work and work, all of a sudden this big legend yeah. came out. You need a lot of time for a legend to develop. You have to have time. So no one, they say, really believe that Jesus rose from the dead, but in time, mm-hmm. they began to believe that. Right. So again, what is the key for legend? Time. time. You have to have time. You want eyewitnesses to be dead. Um, things that cannot be verified. Mm-hmm. But now look at this. Jesus was crucified in, let's say, 30 A.D. Paul on the Damascus Road had an encounter with Christ about 33 A.D. So that's three years after the death of Christ. Yep. But in Galatians 1.18, three years after his conversion, Paul met with Peter, Cephas, and James. Why was he meeting with them? He wasn't one of the original 12, so he's going back to the main men, and he's talking to them. It's believed here that creed was given to him. Mm. So when this creed was given to him, that means he got this creed in 36 AD. Mm. That means from the very beginning, 
the church was already proclaiming that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead right. from the very beginning. Right. So this means it's not a fabrication. Yeah. It means it's not a legend. From the moment of the event, they were preaching the resurrection of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And another reason this is important is skeptics, many skeptics will say that Jesus was just a good guy, just a good teacher, but it was, but he never claimed to be God. It was Paul who, in a sense, made up the Christian story. Mm-hmm. Yet this creed shows that can't be the case because before Paul became a Christian— <laughs> The church was already proclaiming Jesus was the, was resurrected and the one that they should put their trust in. So I do want to remind listeners that there is good for reason for us to believe in our faith. And we don't have to check our minds out at the door. In fact, there are many skeptics who've looked into this subject to disprove Christianity, and guess what's happened? Many of them became Christians. They turned into Christians. <laughs> I think of one of the more famous ones right now is Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel, yeah. yeah. So I do want you to remember that the disciples, again, they died for the resurrection. They gave up their life for it. And you only die for what you believe to be true. Right. And so it shows that they truly believe that Jesus rose from the dead. They never recanted from that. And we don't die for things that we believe is a lie. Yeah. So there's good belief in foundation for the resurrection. Hmm. Yeah, they believed it from the beginning. They taught it from the beginning. From there the very was, beginning. There's no way Six years or three years is enough time for a legend like this to be Absolutely. developed. And all these eyewitnesses are still alive. And Paul says that here. Check them out. Go ask them. Go ask them. They, they saw the risen Christ. Yeah, that's, that's fascinating. One comment I wanted to make about this chapter is Paul says that if the resurrection is not true, then we are to be pitied more than all men, mm. right? Well, one thing that has always made me think is— Am I living in such a way where that would be true? Hmm. If you think of it that way, because if I'm living like the world, then that statement is not true for me. Even if Christ hadn't been raised from the dead, then I'm not actually to be pitied more than all men because I'm living just like the rest of the world. Well, that's true. But think about how Paul lived. Paul gave his life for the gospel. Hmm. He lived with such an intensity, such a a single-minded focus, and he was beaten, he was flogged, he was shipwrecked. He went through all these things for the sake of the gospel. Mm -hmm. So he could truly say, if the resurrection's not true, then I am to be pitied more than all men, (laughs) because I've given my whole life to this. Think of what he gave up. Right. He gave up everything. So would this statement be true for us? Would we actually be pitied more than all men if this is not true? Just, Just a thought I had there. Well, another thing I wanted to talk about in this section of 1 Corinthians is speaking in tongues. Another <laughs> Oh, you got that one. Another controversial topic <laughs> in 1 Corinthians. Paul pulls out all the big guns in this letter. I tell you what, the, the Corinthians must have had a lot of questions. They're just like us. So <laughs> speaking in tongues can be a pretty controversial topic, but I, I want to talk about this in context. So chapters 12 through 14 are kind of one unit. Remember, we talked about last episode that... The chapters of Scripture are not inspired. They were added much later. So chapters 12 through 14 are are kind of one thought for Paul. And just to give a little background here, it it appears that the Corinthians were being somewhat prideful about their spiritual gifts. (laughs) There were some people who were sinfully desiring the gift of speaking in tongues. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of a flashy gift like, hey, I must be more holy than you Mm -hmm. because look what I can do. I can speak in tongues. So speaking in tongues seems to kind of been causing division amongst the Corinthians. So Paul is going to address this. And he starts in chapter 12, 
<clears throat> chapter 12, verse 7, he says, a manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. Okay, so he's saying every believer in Christ has a spiritual gift for the purpose of building up the church. And as he's talking about this, he compares the church to a body. We've made reference to this before. He says, just as every part of your body has a role to play, so every member of the church has a role to play. No matter Mm -hmm. how small it is, everybody has a role to play. And notice the language he uses, too, in chapter 12. He says, the Spirit apportions to each individually as he wills. God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. So what Paul's saying here is, there's no room for boasting. Mm -hmm. What did you do to earn your gift? It's a gift. That's why it's called a gift. God gave it to you. God chooses to give these gifts by his grace. Mm -hmm. So there's no room for boasting. So that's chapter 12. He says, everyone has a role to play. There's no room for boasting. Then we come to chapter 13, and this is the love chapter. This is the one that's usually read at at weddings and and such, and (laughs) and rightfully so. But in context, he's actually talking about spiritual gifts. He's saying, you can have all the spiritual gifts in the world, but if you don't have love, it means nothing. Hmm. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, so if I speak in tongues, if I have prophetic powers, if I have faith, if I have all these gifts, but I don't have love, it's useless. Hmm. It means nothing. So he's saying in chapter 13 that spiritual gifts must be used in love to build up the church, hmm. not for division like the Corinthians were, were doing. Then we come to chapter 14, and Paul addresses tongues a little bit more directly. And remember, the Corinthians were arguing that tongues were kind of a superior gift. Mm-hmm. Now, just for clarity's sake, the word tongues, is the, it's the Greek word glossa. It's, it's also the same word used for languages. So speaking in tongues could be also translated speaking in languages, maybe making it sound a little bit less mysterious. But what is it? What is speaking in tongues? Well, we know that sometimes it can be speaking in known languages. So we look at Acts 2, for example, Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is poured out on the disciples, and the disciples start speaking in languages that they themselves don't know. But the audience, they hear in their native tongue. They hear the gospel in their own languages. So sometimes speaking in tongues can be in known languages. Uh, One thing to keep in mind, though, is that Acts 2 is kind of a a unique time in salvation history, so Mm -hmm. it may not necessarily be a pattern or a model for the rest of of history. So the, the New Testament also portrays tongues as not being known languages as well. So, for example, in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 2, Paul says, For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. So notice what Paul doesn't say here. He doesn't say, if you speak in tongues, there's a chance that somebody will understand the language you're speaking. Paul describes it really as a a prayer to God through your spirit. It's like a, a prayer occurring in the spiritual realm where we're speaking to God, but our, our minds are bypassed in a sense, and we don't fully understand what we're praying. So speaking in tongues can be known languages at times, it appears, but Paul also seems to portray tongues as something that, that nobody understands. Now, a couple other points I want to make here, though. Scripture is very clear that tongues are not ecstatic. You're not in a in a trance when you're speaking in tongues. It's something that the speaker is, they can be self-controlled. 
So at Pentecost, for example, the disciples were able to stop speaking in tongues so Peter could come up and preach, hmm. right? They weren't out of control. First Corinthians 14, Paul says, if any speak in a tongue, let there only be two or three and each in turn and let someone interpret. So he's telling the, the Corinthians, it, it's clear that the speakers can control themselves. Hmm. They're not in a trance. They're mm-hmm. not out of control. They're self-controlled. And along with that, he makes it clear it's to be done in an orderly manner. Paul says, if somebody has the gift of interpretation, let there be two or three who speak in tongues in, in the gathered worship service. But if there's no one to interpret, he says, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. So if there's no one to interpret, he says, it's best not to speak in tongues during the, the church gathering. So he makes it clear it's not something just to be done randomly or for show. And he makes it very clear as well that tongues are not a superior gift. He actually says in verse 19, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So remember, the Corinthians thought tongues were superior, but Paul says, no, it's actually better to instruct and, and build up the church. It's better to seek gifts like prophecy where the church can be more directly built up and where the visitors will be able to understand. Now, Paul does encourage speaking in tongues in private, and he actually says in verse 18 that he speaks in tongues more than all of the Corinthians, more than all of you. But in public, he says it must be done orderly and with interpretation or not done at all. He also makes it clear that not everybody speaks in tongues. So at the end of chapter 12, where Paul is talking about how God has arranged the parts of the body, the parts of the church, he asks a series of questions. He says, are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Well, the implied answer here is clearly no. He's saying everybody has a unique role. So this means that tongues tongues are not a requirement or a sign of salvation. It's a gift that some people have, but not everyone, just like any other spiritual gift. Now, one last question I think we have to ask here, because this can be controversial as well, is are gifts like tongues and healing and, and these more miraculous gifts, as we call them, are they still distributed by the Spirit today? Right. This can be a controversial topic, <laughs> because some people would argue that only the original apostles had these gifts to kind of validate the gospel message initially. But if you look in chapter 13, Paul argues that love is superior to all spiritual gifts because love lasts forever, whereas spiritual gifts are temporary. He says in verse 8, chapter 13, verse 8, as for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. But when will that happen? Well, he says in verse 10, when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. He's talking about the second coming, the second coming of Christ. So it appears that spiritual gifts will end at the second coming. They will have served their purpose at that point, but they won't end before that point. There's no indication that they have ended before then. And remember, Paul encourages speaking in tongues in private to the Corinthians. So that seems to indicate that the Spirit still distributes this gift to some people. So just to kind of recap this, just to give a quick summary, remember that tongues can sometimes, it appears, be known languages, but sometimes they're not. It's a gift that some people have, but not 
everyone, just like any other spiritual gift. It's not a superior gift, but it is one of the spiritual gifts. In the church gathering, Paul says, speaking in tongues should be done orderly and with interpretation or not at all. And like all gifts, like all spiritual gifts, this gift shouldn't be done for show. It shouldn't be abused. It should be used with love. And it should always, like all gifts, be evaluated in accordance with Scripture. Any thoughts that you would like to add there, Pastor Ryan? I know that's a big topic. Well, just one thing quickly. I know that you're talking about in chapter 13 being the love chapter. I think you make a good point. It's really easy for us to get caught up in pride. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we call it gift projection. It's not in the scriptures, but it's what we call it. If you have the gift of teaching, then guess what you think? Then Doctrine is the most important thing, and anyone who isn't as smart as you, you begin to look down upon. People who have the gift of mercy. If someone else doesn't have such a gift, then they think, well, what's wrong with you? Or, you know, the gift of giving. Mm -hmm. We call this gift projection. We just really need to be careful with that. Um, We don't want pride to be the thing that moves us. Really what our desire is to grow closer to Christ. Right. Yeah, and clearly the Corinthians were struggling with that. They were saying, hey, I've got the gift of tongues, and you don't. Look at me. But Paul's saying, no, no, you got it all wrong. It's all about love. It's all about building up the church. It really is. Our gifts should never be used for division. They're not a a cause for boasting because they're gifts. We didn't do anything to earn them anyway, so how can we boast? I've seen that happen a lot. I mean, if someone has the gift of evangelism, we should all be sharing our faith, but they seem to have an easier ability to do that, and then they'll look on people who are a little bit more struggle with it and say, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Yeah. Why aren't you going door to door? Yeah. Well, you have the gifts and not all of us do. Exactly. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, that's it for 1 Corinthians. Next week, we'll start our journey into 2 Corinthians. So tune into that as we help you get into the word until it gets into you. And as we equip you so that you can go out and you can be a world changer. Mm -hmm.